Okay. Good morning. Hey, good morning, everybody. Make yourselves comfortable. It's good to have you here. My name is Luke. I'm one of, lights just went out. It's okay. We're all all right. Um, I'm one of the teachers here, and I'm excited to get to preach today and talk about Easter. If you have a Bible or an app that you use, go ahead and turn to John 11. Um, We're going to use a lot of scriptures today, but they're going to be bullets, and they're going to kind of be tossed up on the screen. That's the one that's going to lift the most weight for us, so kind of put your finger there and use that to go back to. Um, Right in the middle of the sermon is kind of where we'll see Christ through that passage. Um, But yeah, as Chris said, it's good to have you here on Easter, on Resurrection Day. Um, It's kind of a peculiar day for pastors, a little bit of a strange day, just to be totally honest with you. Um, pastors, we love the resurrection. We're all for it. <laughs> all for Jesus coming out of the tomb, victorious as a king. Um, but in the American culture, in the West, it's, it can be a little strange just to give you a kind of a peek behind the curtain, uh, maybe a dissection from the perspective of a pastor uh, and a church planter. What happens on Easter is just unique. It's, it's unique in our culture. Um, We are a young church. This is, I think, our third Easter. Um, Whether we were in a living room or here, this is, I think, our only our third one together as a body. And what young churches find out from zero years all the way up to maybe seven or eight years old is that there ends up being a mass exodus on Easter, right? Because you're so full of young people that they travel to go be with family, right? Or they have family across town, and it's, it's kind of a deep south thing to just celebrate Easter with your family. Um, so all the young people just kind of leave. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It kind of wrecked me in our first year. I came out and I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to fail. This is when you're supposed to be huge. What does this mean for us? It was really heavy on me. Um, but in 20 or 30 years, you see the opposite. Older churches, they see a spike. They see a surge because they have what? Kids coming from other colleges, from across town to celebrate Easter with their family. Um, so it's, it's like reshuffling the deck a little bit. And it's kind of this peculiar day. Now, for both young churches and for older churches, you see a surge in people who just aren't used to coming to church gatherings. They're, they're not familiar with this. They're, they're a little bit of a distance. They'll do it every once in a while, once, twice, four or five times a year, but not so much of a big deal. I, I grew up like this. Um, and it, it was interesting to watch my parents... My, my family, we grew up kind of, uh, I guess, not going to church gatherings except for maybe Christmas and Easter. So we were part of that surge. The thing is, is pastors understand this surge. Churches get it. They know, it. they know what's going on. That's why you start to see a lot of Easter pushes, right? A new series, a, a, a new band, a new something, a new banner. Churches will do whatever it takes because missiologically they understand there's a lot of people that are going to be there that may not statistically ever show up again. And if they do, it might just be at Christmas time, right? And so they'll do the best they can. They'll have a special dance. They'll do a special song. Um, communion will be like in the front instead of in the back. They'll do whatever it takes to convince you church is cool. And if you show up next week, it will still be cool. And they try to capture as many people as possible. Again, it's an odd day, Right? Church plants get this. If you look, a lot of churches will start on Easter. This will be the day they hang their shingle out. And they say, we start being a church today. right? So they understand the spike and then the surge. And they jump on that same bandwagon. And I get it. I get it. I understand. It does make sense. There is, in fact, a surge in attendance. 
But within week two, after the Easter service, more than 55% of the attendance has dropped. Within four weeks, you're right back down to the original attendance numbers. That's historically proven to be accurate, especially in the Deep South, especially. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that? That's what I'm interested in knowing. Why do you think that is? Why the spike? Why the surge? And why the drop? Again, I think of my parents. I think of how I grew up, right? We'd wake up, they'd wake me and my brother up, and they'd put us in shirts. They were a little too small because we wore them at Easter last time. That was the last time we wore them. Clip-on ties, mom shoving a ham in the oven, right? A lot of fighting on the way to the car, a lot of fighting on the way to the service. And what am I doing? I'm sitting there around a lot of kids with shirts on, way too small, clip-on ties, family looks stressed out, right? You go home, eat ham, you take a nap, that's it. You hang the clothes back up in the same closet, and you'll only pull them out for a funeral or a wedding, right? That's how I grew up to understand Easter. I'm interested in this. Why, do, why is this the case? Men and women all over, waking up, getting dressed, doing the same thing. I think for many people who don't typically go to church gatherings, for most, um, I don't know. I, I think it's something that we do. I know for my family this was the case. Something that we do to show that we are still good with God. God, we're still good, right? I mean, I'm here. It's Easter. I mean, I know we're not like really, really, really good because I know I could be here more and I'm not, but I'm here today, right? And I know for every time I come, it's like a point, but don't you get like double down points if it's on Easter? It's like Groupon day, right? I mean, I'm here and my family's here and we're all dressed up. We're cool, right? We're clean. I think that's one of the big reasons that we do this. We see church as this place where we have to clean ourselves up to go be around a lot of other clean people who are living cleanly so that a professional pastor can get up who is clean and tell you what rules to add to your life where you could live clean, right? And we can go out to the world and be clean before the world. And that's hard to do. It's hard to just go out and live new rules in order to be cleaner before God, validated before God. It's difficult to do that. So we feel kind of this irrelevancy. There's I think, it's, I think it's important to notice that the city at large, the spike and the drop, and even those of us who maybe come 52 times a year, there seems to be a growing irrelevancy between us and Jesus, us and his church, and definitely us and Easter or Resurrection Day, right? I'm just going to refer to it as Easter if that's okay to you. I think we just see an irrelevancy. I mean, I get it. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. I get it. Good for him. It makes the story provocative. I guess it has a good ending, but I still can't figure out what that has to do with my normal, right? What on earth does Easter have to do with my life? I got problems with my kids. I got problems with my work. I got problems with my cars. I got problems with my my marriage, addictions, offenses. I've got my own universe where things are just swirling around. What on earth does Jesus waltzing out of a tomb have to do with that? There's this distance between the story that we celebrate today and our normal lives. I think it's important for us today to talk about this because it's not such a dumb question. If you're not used to church gatherings and that's a question you're even rehearsing in your head, listen, that's not a dumb question. That's not a dumb question. We're going to look at that. How does the resurrection connect to you? 
But even if you are a Christian and you love Jesus and you pursue it and you're here every time the doors are open and you're always in a living room, this is also a valid word for you because it might not be Easter that you're adding to your life to validate you before God, but there might be other things. And in fact, I'll bet that there are in all of our lives that we show up and we say, God, look, I'm doing this. We're good, right? And we end up sounding like Easter family like the Thomas family growing up. We're we're cool, right? I mean, I've done this. I've polished it off. It looks good. I didn't leave it at home. I'm here. We're doing this. I'm I'm valid, right? I'm approved. Favor is here because I did this. I think it's important for us even as Christians to look at. It's a relevant question for us all. What does the resurrection of Christ our King have to do with our normal? Now, my job today is not to show you how relevant Easter is. It's not to make it relevant to you. It's to just honor the Bible, look at the text, and show you how relevant it already is. We don't have to make it relevant. We don't have to do backflips all over the city as new people are flooding in to show and to to kind of impress you with this beautiful resurrection story. It's impressive anyway. We just reveal what the scripture says about it, which is what we're going to do today because Really, when you think about what Easter is, and I know that, listen, just real quickly, I know that name might bother you. Some of you have heard in the past that that was named after a cult, which is arguable, right? The word Easter, every single day of the week on our calendar is named after a Greek god. That doesn't seem to bother very many people, to be honest with you, so I'm okay calling it Easter. A lightning bolt has never struck me, and I've never felt like I've needed to repent before God Almighty because I used the word Easter, so we're going to use it today. Is that okay? Lay down a ground rule. bothers me you can tell easter for the human race is just the death of death it's the death of death it's the conquering of what conquers us all it's the vanquishing of all evil and corruption and it is the victorious entry back into the cosmos of our king who was truly dead not swooning not passed out but dead himself and he rose up and he defeated death it's beautiful thing for us look look in colossians we'll throw this up on the screen This is Paul, and he says this, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Those are pretty cool words. These are his labels, by the way. Jesus is the beginning. The beginning of what? Well, he's the firstborn. The the firstborn from what? From death. From death. That he might be in everything preeminent. So he calls him the beginning and the firstborn. It's referring to a family. He's the firstborn of many siblings. He's the firstborn of a church, which he is the head of, which he is preeminent over. And this is really good news for us. Really good news because resurrection becomes very relevant to you because death is very relevant to you. Death is the only thing that mankind is not conceived of how to beat. can't beat it. It's this mortal enemy that greets us all. It crosses all language barriers. Death crosses uh, all fine, it just ethnic barriers. It, whether you're wealthy or not, it doesn't matter. You could have billions of dollars, death comes. You could be impoverished, death comes. You could be young, death comes. Old, death comes. It comes to us all. It is a common enemy that is common to all of mankind. So death is relevant. The resurrection story becomes relevant because Jesus beat death. He conquered it. He showed it down. So there's really nothing more relevant to all of us. Look in Romans 6. It'll be up on the screen. 
It says this, this is Paul talking, and he says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So Jesus would raise people from the dead in his ministry. We see it all over the Gospels, right? He comes, he raises someone from the dead, a little girl, whoever. They come up, but that person was going to die again. They weren't resurrected, they were reanimated. He's the firstborn of those to be resurrected into new life. That would never happen until that point, and it is the first time it happened at that point, right? And death, because of that, has no dominion or ruling or reign over him. And he says this. This is Jesus in Revelation 117. And a lot of you didn't even know that he spoke in Revelation. This is Jesus himself. He says, fear not. I am the first, which we've already seen that, right? I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and I have the keys of Hades. This is good news if you're a Christian. Listen, if you're a Christian today, you're going to die someday. There will be a day, think about it, where you will close your eyes and you won't open them again, right? For whatever reason. There'll be one last time that you breathe out and that will be it. If you are a Christian because Jesus has beaten death and it cannot affect him and because he is the first in the beginning of a new family, and we are part of that family, that means that you're realistically just blinking and you're realistically in between breaths. There will be a time where you close your eyes and the last thing you saw was this crooked, cracked, depraved world full of sickness, full of just the the grime and the grease that comes because of the brokenness of our, our race. And when you open them, you see perfection, you see a new city, you see a new people, you see a new king. You will breathe in, the next time it will be clean air. Clean air, think about that. You'll see color like you've never seen it before. You'll hear like you've never heard before. Feelings like you've never heard before. Worship will come so naturally because you will see so clearly. The things that sin affects now, it won't affect. It's really not death at all anymore, is it? When you think about it, death isn't the end of anything for a Christian. It's just a subtle transition as we leave one world and we enter another. As we leave brokenness and we enter perfection. This is what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about this. He says, Death is no longer banishment. It is a return from exile. A going home to the many mansions where the loved ones already dwell, where community is waiting. The distance between glorified spirits in heaven and militant saints on earth seems great, but it is not. We are not far from home. A moment will bring us there, he says. You see how there's just no fear Because of what Jesus did in that tomb, because of the power of God raising him up by the Spirit of God, there's no fear of death if you are in Christ Jesus. No fear. Not only are you not to fear it, you can actually mock it. That sounds odd, doesn't it? Death is worthy of your mockery. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. So perishable body, that's your... The, the tent that you walk in, right? That's the, I mean, I woke up this morning and I had junk in my eyes. You know that junk? It's the boulders and you're chiseling them out of your eyes and I'm putting my contacts in because my vision's just horrible and I'm waking the whole house up because my knees and my ankles pop, man. I sound like an old car when I get up out of the bed. I'm making all kinds of noises, right? My hip, it takes like 20 minutes and the ears pop. That's my hip so I could do my day. I mean, I'm falling apart. And Paul says in other places in the Bible, the outer, the outer part of us is wasting away. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. 
So this outward part, this tent, that's falling apart year by year, that's the perishable here. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and he's ripping this off out of Hosea, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul is mocking death. Only after Hosea mocks death. And then Jesus, after he vanquishes death, he actually rises up and he mocks death with his own life as well. We see this. This was written, that little part in Hosea was written hundreds of years before Paul read it. And Hosea, as a prophet, was looking forward to the time where death would be defeated. He saw that. Paul writing it knew that this would happen with Jesus. He already saw it, so he's reflecting on it. But Jesus actually gives us a picture of it while he walked on earth. Now this is interesting because he shows up at another tomb, a second tomb, right? Not his own tomb, but a buddy's tomb. He shows up at Lazarus' tomb. And in that moment, in that moment, Jesus himself is prophesying a little bit. In that moment, Jesus is showing a vivid picture of what it will look like when he walks out of a much darker tomb, okay? The reason that's even in the Bible, folks, the reason that that story of Lazarus is even in the Bible is to point to Jesus Christ and what he would do. That's it. That's it. It's not because he was his best buddy and he was lonely. It wasn't because he was really sad, even though he was a good buddy and he did cry, he did weep, and he was sad. This was all about what God was doing in mankind. I'll tell you what, John 11, which you should be at in your Bible or your app, we're going to go through it, but we're not going to read the whole chapter because it's a lot. We're going to skip around, right? So I'll tell you what verse to go to because there's a couple key areas that we're going to focus on for Easter, Easter Sunday. John 11:1. 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. He, <laughs> I bet he was ill because he lived in a city that was named after a girl. That'd make any guy sick right there, right? That was a joke. I just came up with that on the spot. It's not bad for not being rehearsed. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with the ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. So that's the same Mary. A lot of people get the Marys mixed up, okay? That's who he's talking about. Whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So he says this. He says the illness is not going to lead to death. But it did. But it did, and he died because he waited. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. That's just a weird statement. We, we think that we would not be weirded out by that. Had we stood there with Jesus as he said that, that would have weirded us out. Well, why didn't we go? I'm just going to say... Why wouldn't we go? So he didn't die. And for him to say, it's good. I'm glad I wasn't there. It's good for you. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went in and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. 
That'll preach by itself. That's a totally different sermon. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So you catch this? She's saying all the right stuff. She's saying all the right stuff. She gets it. She understands this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection's not a time coming. It's a man standing. That's what he's telling her. Make no mistake. I am here. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Hear that, Christian. Shall never die. You will breathe your last. You will shut your eyes one day. You will not die. You will not die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Verse 38, if you skip down. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Catch this. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. He'd see that again. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. So everyone takes six giant steps backward. The tomb is about to be opened up. That's what she's saying. Okay, you understand what you're getting into, Jesus. Had you come on day one and he raised up, not such a big deal because he's only been dead for a day, right? Not a lot of stink or weirdness. His breath wouldn't have even been bad by then. But it's been four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. This is why he's doing it that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died, Lazarus, came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Okay, I'm going to give you the punchline. Some of you already know it. Lazarus was just going to die again someday. Again, he was not resurrected. He was reanimated. He will die. Whether it was in a year or 30 years, it doesn't really matter. He would breathe his last. Mortality would grab him and throw him back in the grave. He would be buried twice. Right? That's, that's what we do know about this. The question that you should ask, and don't assume that you know the answer, is why would Jesus do this? Now, he tells us in the passage. But I think growing up, we read it and we think, well, he just did it because he loved Lazarus. True, he loved Lazarus. I think he did it because he just didn't like death and he liked raising people up. True. He did not like the effect of death on mankind and he liked raising people up. He proved it by leaving the tomb and doing it for his whole family. So that is true, right? But why? Why else would he do this? He says that they may believe that you sent me. Why? Why is that important? Because later on, Jesus is going to walk out of a darker tomb. Later on, Jesus is going to walk out of a deeper tomb. A more important tomb. This is more of a prophetic thing than anything. Yes, it was a real event and it really happened. But it's also an illustration and a gigantic neon sign to what Christ himself was about to do. To show that he himself had the power over death. He is the better Lazarus. 
the more perfect version. Because he would leave a tomb someday, and he wouldn't need any help taking off the old clothes. He was going to put on royal robes unassisted. He is a better Lazarus because he would not die again. He was not just reanimated, but he was resurrected. Is the very first person to ever be resurrected. He is the first and the last, he says in Revelation. The grave, and this is where it's good news for us, man. This is good. The grave lost its grip and its grasp on Jesus, and because he is the firstborn, it will do the same to his church. This is a defining moment. You take Easter out of Christianity, it is just as religion that is just as useless as any other religion. This is the stamp of veracity on what Jesus did. Christianity is different from world religions. First of all, it's not a religion, but it's different in the fact that they have moments and seasons that define what they believe as a belief system. We have a moment. We have a morning. We, we have one moment that defines our existence as a church in a relationship with God. It's very, very different. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, just to throw it up there and be real fast. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. I mean, this is littered all throughout the Bible. Romans 8, 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And that's for here and forevermore. That's life here on earth and it's life after here on earth. I think this is where Easter becomes incredibly relevant to mankind. I hope you're starting to see it more in focus and how relevant it is and how much it really touches you. Because listen, our sins are going to drag us all to the grave. The reason we die, even the reason that we perish, is because of sin's effect on mankind, beginning in the garden all the way to when Jesus comes back on a white horse. Everything in between, when we all die, is because of sin's effect. Our sins drag us to the grave. Sin's done to us, sin's done by us. It doesn't matter. It's just a cracked cosmos. It's a broken creation that's groaning until that time where Christ comes back. Our sins, it drags us to the grave. The sins of following after and worshiping small gods, small Jesuses, the the small Jesus of comfort, that promises that it will give you comfort if you sow some money into it and time into it and you leverage it just right, that it will deliver what it promises, but it never really does, does it? Or identity, or image, or glory, or power. These small Jesuses, these small little messiahs that say they're going to save us, but they never do. As we chase after those things and live a broken life, and then we die a broken life, and we're drugged down to the grave. The same one Lazarus tasted, the same one all mankind before us has tasted. Now, this is the thing. We are all resurrected to eternal life. Either eternal punishment, or we are resurrected to eternal peace and joy at the right hand of God. Enjoying presence with God. Seeing God, worshiping God. We're all resurrected. The beauty of the gospel story is that Jesus took punishment so that we don't have to feel that eternally. That Jesus took a punishment that was aimed at us. I mean, the sniper rifle was set on you because you deserve that shot, you deserve that punishment, aimed straight at you, and Jesus took it. And the perfect life that he lived and the perfect death that he died, he swaps for you. He swaps it for you. This beautiful story is made true by this empty tomb. Or as other preachers have said, or else he's just a really nice dead guy. Right? But that vacuous, empty tomb proves, emphasizes that this 
really happened. He's a better Lazarus. I think people come into church a lot of times because I did for probably 10 years, so I know, I know what this feels like, as dead versions of Lazarus. We walk into gathering or living rooms or rah-rah sessions or worship sessions or we go to camps or we go to whatever and we're just versions of Lazarus, just dead, dead and unresponsive, never really answering the call to come out of the tomb. We hear the call, we can read it, we hear it all the time, but we never leave the tomb. We stay in there. And then we go home and we try to follow all these new rules to try to be clean, but it doesn't work, does it? We try as hard as we can to be like all the other clean people at church, but we never really feel that clean, do we? Joy is just, it escapes us. We have a hard time enjoying God, have a hard time worshiping God, because if we have a heart that is torn towards other idols, and we just can never feel like we're making it click. Like we're on the outside, looking in with a bunch of living people, yet we're Lazarus, dead and unresponsive. Christ becomes this irrelevant teacher, leading an irrelevant church, and rising again on an irrelevant Sunday. Sudden surge, sudden drop. That's effectively what we see. Christians even, coming all the time. You might come 52 times a year. And you did leave the tomb at one time. Christ called you, became a Christian, but you still have burial clothes on. You're past. It's very difficult for you to let the past go. You still are hugging, bear-hugging these idols because you still think they're going to pay off someday. Jesus isn't the square one on your throne. He's not the one sitting right on the edge of his seat on your throne of your heart. You've got this and this and a little bit of this. It's even hard for you. You know, a couple months ago, I buried my father Um, And the few days before the funeral service, I had to go into the funeral home and be the dude that kind of checks the boxes and say, we want this in the service, we don't want this. And of course, my mom's grieving. She's in no shape or form to take care of that. And so I'm picking up things. This is really my first time to do something like that from scratch all the way to the very end. Let me just tell you, now we cremated my father, but let me tell you, there is an industry, folks, on making dead people look alive. (laughs) It was amazing. I mean, if you pay enough money, there's a, there are schools all over the country cranking out people that are really good at making dead people look alive. They'll comb the hair, put on a good suit, spray chemicals on. I don't really know what they're doing. I'm making that up. But I know there's chemicals involved. And they'll prop that person up, right? And you'll straight up be fooled looking like they're taking a nap. At one point in the service, they brought us in to show us a table. And the dude, our guy that wasn't... He was helping. He wasn't aware there was a body there. And so we go waltzing in the room to look at a table. And I turn around. I'm like, whoa. I mean, it could have been a practical joke. That could have been a real person. And if you go on YouTube, there are some practical jokes where they do that, you know, because they look alive. It's amazing to me how that is. But it does paint a picture for us. We do the same thing in religion. Think about it. We have a lot of dead people that look alive. A lot of dead people walking around, look alive. But there's nothing alive in them, is there? There's just death inside. Just death. Separation. I wonder how many of us in here, I wonder how many of us in the city are this person. Dressed up versions of new life when really we are spiritually dead. Many of you might be here because you are dressed up like that. 
and Easter's not really ever been relevant to you. Jesus and his church has not really been relevant to you. And that might be because of the gods you're holding on to. It's the failure to trust that he is sufficient. It's the failure to trust that that good news is actually your good news, not just good news for all the clean people. It's your failure to trust that he won't drop you. It's your failure to trust that his comfort is actually better than the comfort that the world offers. That the identity that Christ brings to us is better than the identity you get from your buddies at work or how many bench press reps you can do or whatever. It's better than that. That the glory that he is in heaven is better than the glory that we try to build ourselves, our our fake little pedestals, trying to position spotlights on us our whole life. It's a failure to trust in all of that. I think that's a reason it was for me for such a long time, holding on to those same gods. But I do need to tell you that if you come here once a year, twice a year, 52 times a year, if you come to a gathering like this, it does not make you cool before God. Sitting in these plastic chairs does not make us cool before God. Listen, if it did, we'd just go out there and pay people to come in. That'd be a straight-up good strategy, wouldn't it? It'd be expensive, but people would be cool with God. That's just not the way it works, is it? When we clean ourselves up to be clean, and we go around other clean people to listen to a clean person talk to us about being clean so that we can finally be clean enough before a clean God, if we do that, It doesn't make you a Christian. It might make you a walking corpse. Many of you here who are Christians and you do love Jesus, you struggle with those old clothes, the linens that Jesus immediately demanded come off of Lazarus. You still got them all wrapped up around you. And it's hard for you to believe that you have a new life. You just think you have like a factory refurbished one. Glitches, scratches, fake wrapping, made to look new, but not really because no one's really fooled, right? It's refurbished. That's the way it feels like. We hold on to our small gods and we worship them too, don't we, Christians? That we bring them back and resurrect them? Promise that we'll give our little gods idols if they don't tip the canoe too much? If you don't make this public, we'll let you live here, right? That we cut deals? We do the same thing. And it's hard for us to enjoy Jesus. We try so hard to be clean instead of just enjoying the one who was clean that made us clean. This is what it says in Romans 6, 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Again, we've said this three times now. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, this is why he's saying all of this. He's getting to the point, and this is the point. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christian Friend, that means we shed the clothes, we dump the small Jesuses that aren't delivering, that are liars and they're deceivers, and the desire to destroy your life. And we behold Jesus as satisfying and sufficient. And if we're not there, we ask God to give us the capacity to do it. Jesus, give me a capacity to see you more beautiful. That sounds like a weird prayer, but it's one that he honors. If you find other things sufficient, if you find other things satisfying to your heart, if you ask God, God, give me a desire to love you more, to behold you as more beautiful, he'll do it. He'll do it. He'll start wrecking shop and showing you how ugly your sin is. He'll start bringing community around who will see your sin. He'll do all kinds of things. It's a dangerous prayer. 
There's a third grave spoken of, and that's the one I'm going to end with. It's the third grave spoken of in the Bible long before these two that we've already mentioned. And that's the whale that swallowed Jonah, the big fish. And yes, that really happened. Text your questions in. (laughs) That was a grave. This is what we see Jesus say in Matthew 12. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is saying the reason that's in the story of God, the reason that's in his overarching narrative is to point to me, to point to what I'm going to do. You think the belly of a fish is bad? I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be dead. Some of you are unfamiliar with the story of Jonah. It's a book, so we're not going to read it like we just did, but I'm going to tell you in two sentences. All Jonah is, is a prophet of God, who God gave an important message, and a message of life and hope. But the people were really ugly and horrible. I mean, you've seen Veggie Tales, you know, right? They're slapping each other with fish, and they're rude, and they're aggressive, and they're murderous, and there's blood on their hands. And guess what? The punchline is, is they don't deserve the message. They don't deserve to get that message because they're not good people who are clean. So Jonah says, I'm not having it, not doing it. So he gets on a boat going the other direction. God brings a storm, stormy waters. The sailors freak out. They throw Jonah over the side. Fish eats him. (laughs) I don't get it. Fish eats him, carries him around, spits him up three days later on the beach of where? Right where he's supposed to be. He goes, he carries that message, and guess what? That city repents. Why on earth is that in the Bible? It's not for children's ministry. That's not why God put it there, so that we wouldn't run out of things as children's teachers to teach. Well, we can always lean back on Jonah. The kids love that story. It's in the Bible because Jesus is a better Jonah, a prophet of God who had a message of hope for a dirty, scandalous group of vandals who are murderous, who don't deserve this message, who are hateful, who have blood on our hands, not just of mankind, but of God himself as we put him on the cross. We don't deserve the message. He doesn't go uh, just with pause or with hesitance towards the people who don't deserve it. He goes with joy, with excitement, because it is the will of his Father. He is thrown into the storms, the stormy water of mankind who would never respect him for who he really is. And he preaches this message to a people who hate him, but there would be repentance, a new city, a new people. Friends, that's why that's in the Bible. Make no mistake, he's talking about himself. The good news of the cross saving wretched sinners and vandals is stamped and certified by the empty grave. When Jesus Christ died, death mocked him. When he rose, he mocked death. The relevancy for a resurrected king, let's say you're part of what I was for maybe a good 10 or plus years, just coming to church because it's the thing we do to say, I know I'm not cool with you, God, but I'm here to show you I'm not too far gone either, right? So check, look at this, I'm here, I'm clean. If that's you and you fail to see the relevance, I hope you see it now because you're the wretch and I'm the wretch that we don't deserve that message. We don't deserve that. But a king brings it and he brings it in love. Relevancy, you can stop swinging back on God. You can stop striving. You can stop trying to be clean all the time. He was clean for you. You can't be that clean. If Paul couldn't do it, if David couldn't do it, Friends, you don't stand a chance. You don't stand a chance. He was clean for you. 
The relevancy for you, friend, is that you can stop pretending that you were alive when really you're not even walking out of the tomb yet. You're just a corpse. Chemicals, good suit, walking around, acting alive, but you're really dead. You can stop pretending. I know you, I know you hear the gospel calling you out of the tomb. I know that. I know you hear it. And I know there are times where you think about, I need to answer that. And I don't know what that means for some churches you've been to or camps. Is this a time where I go down front and talk to somebody? Or do I just say a prayer in my heart? You know, but let, let me tell you, let me make it easy. Friend, if you're at the place where you're saying in your heart, I'm ready to give it all in. I'm done serving my gods. I'm done. I'm doing this thing. Jesus did leave the grave. I believe the story. I'm going to bank my whole life on it. Friend, you can't even do that. You cannot even do that well and truthfully if he has not already touched your heart. You're already, you're already born again even as you sit there. There's no magical prayer I can say or Kevin or anyone else that makes you a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Lazarus couldn't have left the tomb unless he could hear Jesus calling him. He was already reanimated before he could even hear Jesus say, come out, Lazarus. It does make sense. I mean, we will have people in the back, and we will want to pray with you. My appeal is just to stop pretending. Stop pretending. This, this isn't doing anything. This address, this service, the, the, everything. It, it's, not, it's not saving you. It's not bringing any favor to you. It's got to stop the madness. If you are close to Jesus, if you are a friend of God, the relevancy for this Easter Sunday, this this day, is that Lazarus left a tomb never to return. And that's the case for you too. Death has lost its sting on you. That should radically change how you do life here on earth. Think about it. What can you do with your life knowing that the sting of death is removed? You will blink and you will see God. You will exhale, and when you inhale, it will be clean air. How does that change you? It should draw worship out of you. The relevancy for a resurrected king for us, church, is that we need to remove the burial clothes that we just keep so tightly wrapped around us. The old gods. The same old, redundant, predictable, ineffective gods. The tomb of Jonah, the tomb of Lazarus, are in the Bible to point to a deeper tomb. A better tomb. One that was left empty. That's why they're in the Bible. That is relevant to us. Because we are undeserving and a king goes before us as the beginning and as the firstborn. You know, I'm going to just finish with this last little piece and then we're done. It's not a long sermon today. Some of you are like, that was long. Oh my gosh. It really wasn't, I promise you. I'm not a great big Easter person, okay? I don't have a tie on. I actually like ties. I just, I don't have one on. I'm not a big Easter person. Wait a few months when Christmas comes around, same thing. Not a big, not a big Christmas person. I am big on Mother's Day, and all of you men and women should be too. But the other two big days where people flock to church, I'm not big on. Why? Because the resurrection is important to my every day. It's important every day. Probably the only time you'll hear me agree with John Paul II, the Pope, he says this, and I love this quote, tattoo it if you're into that thing. We are the Easter people and hallelujah is our song. We are the Easter people, church. It should redefine our every day, not one day. I mean, do it. Go home and eat ham and take a nap. Do it. I'm going to do it. But tomorrow morning when you wake up, you were part of a victorious church because Christ showed how graceful he was by taking care of sin, and then he showed how powerful he was by taking care of death. 
Your sins were taken care of when that cross was left bloody. But power over death was shown when that tomb was left empty. Empty. 